This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Before we begin this week's episode, I want to advise caution. Today, we discuss child abuse and the trauma it creates. While Lee does not share specific details of her childhood experiences, our conversation may still be triggering for some listeners. Welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. Today, I sit down with Lee McKenzie to discuss the hard and necessary healing work after traumatic childhood experiences. Lee's book, She Seems So Normal, Shatter the Plastic Princess, Embrace Authentic Faith, is a documentary narrative journey of uncovering long-hidden sexual abuse and her journey of embracing authentic faith through the help of Jesus, mentors, prayer warriors, therapists, and the work of the Holy Spirit. Speaking of Lee's book, She Seems So Normal, do you enjoy reading Christian books but often feel overwhelmed with which one to read next? Or do you have a few tried and true authors but you're ready to branch out? Yes? I have created a free resource for you. Eight books that were influential in ways that surprised me. So if you're not sure what to read next, Head on over to graceenoughpodcast.com slash books to get that list of eight influential books for free. Good morning, Lee, and welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. Oh my gosh, Amber, thank you so much for having me on your podcast today. It's such an honor. I've been looking and I got to start off with congratulations. I see that you just celebrated 200 episodes. Thank That's a mind blowing. That is amazing. Congratulations. That's huge. Thank you so much. 200 wonderful conversations. I tell people all the time, I'm like, but don't go back and start at number one. No, no, because I've learned a lot since then, right? Please don't don't judge me by my first one. And I love, you had amazing people on recently. Um, Karis, I know Karis Snyder. Yes. She's incredible. The Lisa Turkis. You've got the Erica Wiggenhorn. Cool. Lisa Saruga, one of my sister, trauma sisters. Love her. And then you had Dr. Diane Langberg on recently. And my co-author of the next book actually worked with her at the American Bible Society oh, really? on, on some of the stuff that she did there. He's like in awe of her. He's like, she's amazing. We need to check she out some of amazing. her work. So thank you for doing the hard interviews and the, You're welcome. the deep ones. And oh man, thank you for doing what you do. I appreciate it. Well, and that's the thing we are, we're going to talk about some hard stuff today. And I think my listeners definitely know at this point that um, hard and good go hand in hand. And I believe that wholeheartedly, um, we just kind of got to keep our eyes open and so much of it is in the weight. Mm. So as we dive in today, I typically start with people sharing a little about their faith journey, but what I want you to start with is tell me a little bit about your family life as a child. Well, I was born outside of the United States. My dad was a scientist and he traveled a lot all throughout Central and South America. And 
he was kind of absent as I was growing, um, as I was growing as a baby. And when we came to the United States, there was a rift, I think, um, that had grown between himself mm-hmm. and my mom and they were divorced. And it was at that time, um, my mom was trying to find, I don't know what she was trying to find, but mm-hmm. she inadvertently had brought in people into our lives, my sister and me into our lives that were not good, that were actually predatory abusers. And so I grew up being the quote unquote favorite of our resident predatory abuser. So that's, yeah, that was my life growing up. I grew up on ranches out in the West and um, I was a little squirrel. (laughs) (laughs) Is your your (laughs) sister, is she younger or older than you? My sister perceives me. She's six years older than me. Well, she's five or six years older. She likes it when I say five. So yeah, she was, she was my primary caretaker is what she kind of was. So really um, had a very interesting lifestyle. We spent a lot of times back then, this is 35, 40 years ago. That was when kids were allowed in bars. So we just kind of waited around until the grownups were ready to go. And yeah, it's just, it wasn't your classic um, traditional growing up, I think. Well, and so tell me at that point when your parents did get divorced, did you have much a relationship with your dad from that point forward? Back then, my mom had decided that she would move from where my dad lived and take mm-hmm. us to the furthest corner of Colorado that she could in order to, I mean, it was, it would be like a 10, 15 hour drive yep. just to see us. Yeah. And so we were really isolated. We didn't have people who knew us or family members or anything like that around us. And so there was wow. real, it was a hard cut. And I, I loved my daddy when I was little. I still mm-hmm. remember um, how he held me. And I don't know how I have these memories, but I just know that he adored me. And so it was really hard. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's interesting too, when you think about as children, I mean, even now, like when did, when did my memories really begin? Like the solid ones, but then you'll have random ones from when you were really, mm-hmm. really, really young. Um, and I suspect you've probably gone through some extensive counseling that reaches back into those memories. Am I right in saying that? You're spot on in saying that. I had um I had a lot of like spot memories that I was like, where did that come from? Like, I don't mm-hmm. understand that. And when you ask, uh, the family lore kicks in about how to explain that strange little thing that happened, um, that weird memory. And um, one of the ones specifically I do remember is there were parties that we'd go to, and now I understand them to be grooming parties to get children used to being held by other people that aren't their family members. And I was going, I was really little. I had to have been under three and oh, I'm running maybe. through the legs of people and people keep trying to grab at me to pick me up. And I remember my dreams are people trying to grab at me, the nightmares. And then I'm being picked up and thinking to my little self, put me down. You're not my daddy. You're not my daddy. Mm-hmm. Leave me alone. And then being dropped. I remember like one time being dropped many times. And so how do you explain that? There's no explanation for that. But now I understand um, through the therapy, through a variety. And uh, honestly, I believe it's through the Holy Spirit going, you don't need to know about any of this until you can handle the truth and you're strong enough and you have support and you're far enough away. And so now I'm like, oh, Mm. okay, that's, that makes sense. That's, if anyone remembers, like the um, recently we've had a, the whole blow up with a marketing, there's a, a luxury marketing brand that got in huge trouble for dressing children up with strange stuff on them and they were holding things. That is actually what alerted a lot of people. That is part of the grooming. You get a child used to holding things and getting their picture taken and wearing strange things that they shouldn't be wearing. Oh, wow. So that's... Maybe some people don't understand. Um, it was in the news a while back, but that's 
grooming. Goodness. I mean, that's the thing. There's so many and it just becomes your normal lifestyle as you get older because you don't know any different. So to you, that's completely normal. Totally. Yeah. This is how I've been trained. <laughs> that's right. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. Well, so you are a child sexual abuse survivor, and I know that you could share and share and share about what you experienced. And I don't expect that, but I would like for you to share a little bit more about some of your experiences and how you feel like they shaped you into the person that you were as a teenager, as a young woman, you know, and beyond until you finally started getting to break that cycle. That's wow. That's a really great. Yeah. And I don't, I don't like sharing a whole lot of details, mm -hmm. obviously, because it's really triggering for a lot of yep. people as well as for me. But I would say that my grooming started when I was about three. He used to make me sing. So I love to sing. Mm. And then I was, I sang at my preschool graduation and I was the queen of the ball. Um, I was so excited that I got the solo. And that was the night actually that he took away my voice. He took away my innocence and I had just graduated from preschool. Oh, and so I know how that shaped me. It silenced me. I was mm -hmm. afraid to sing again. I, my solo singing really stopped for school, but I was prompted in the bars to come forth and sing at whatever time of the night and dance to the jukebox and then mm. be told to shut up and go back in the corner and everyone's laughing another round of drinks. And I became trained. It's almost like you flip, flip the switch and Lee goes on, she's ready. Oh, and then when yeah. you're done with her, she's shamed and walks into the corner. And so I think one of the gifts of trauma is that I have the ability to switch really fast and turn on and light up and perform and then shut down. That is good and bad. Mm -hmm. um, it also makes us, a lot of this is when you're always wary of the people around you, you become very hypersensitive. I'm hypersensitive to sounds and smells. Yeah. I'm very hypersensitive to movement. And while that makes me an amazing person, if you have hired me to do an HD broadcast for mm -hmm. a mega church, that is right. like a gift that I have. I'm the squirrel. I look around and I can see something. It attracts my attention. I'm concerned about it. Safety is always my number one thing. Um, I'm great mm. to have on a mission trip when you go to a third world country <laughs> yeah. because I always know the way out. Um, but mm. so that's kind of what ends up happening. And it's this constant state of alertness. It's mm. there's also other stuff. Um, my primary abuser wasn't interested and threw me away when I began going through puberty, I oh, aged wow. out. 
And that just made room for other abusers to kind of come in and continue the work that he had done with me. But that whole thing also, the body dysmorphia, the why does he hate me now? What did I do? Oh, I'm changing. He's talking about how my body's changing. If I could just get back and not that I wanted it, but just right. be nice to me. I do, you have the the sympathetic responses and one is called fawning. Now it's a new one, uh, not just the fight, flight and freak freeze. out yeah. and freeze. It's the fawning and like, please just be nice to me. Please don't be mean to me anymore. If I can get back down and look the way I looked before, would, would you be nicer to me now? And wow. so that, as you can well imagine, the self-hate, how I look, the words he said to me, that really carries on. And that's something that therapy, I mean, I'm still working through that. I'm 51 years old and I still am trying to break the tapes, the cassette tapes that were recorded Yeah. and how I feel and what I believe about how God created me to be, who God created me to be, how I am physically. Um, that is, it's such a, I'm still working through that. It's <laughs> yeah. It's a lifelong process. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it really is because I can hear in my mind, even now, some people saying, why would you care? Finally, he's done with you. But if you dive in to what happens to our brain in any kind of trauma, any at all, you will see that that's just not the way it works. You don't just all of a sudden wake up and say, I'm done. That's why people who have been trafficked go back into trafficking. It, they're yeah. Oh, so yeah. Oh, if yeah. you need more answers, <laughs> go read some research on how our brains respond to trauma and listen to several of the episodes that Lee mentioned earlier. But tell me this then, at some point, Jesus became a part of your life. And I am also not the one. I think that Jesus is the answer, but I don't use him as a band-aid to make all of the bad things go away. And I know you know what I mean when I say that. But mm -hmm. was Jesus a part of your early childhood? Did you have any misconceptions of him? Because so often we look at him the way that we look at our earthly father or that figure. So share a little bit about that with us. I know from very early on, I don't even know why, but even in the preschool ages and that time I prayed. I don't know why I prayed. I prayed for the animals. I prayed for the chickens, mm. the horses, and the goats, and blah, 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 my teacher, blah, blah, blah. I prayed for everything and I, I don't know who I was praying to or what I was praying to, but I think as I went through, especially, so that was little me. And then I have my middle me ages, which is mm -hmm. like the seven, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11. And then I have the teen me ages, which are the scary ones. And I just knew I was searching for something. I don't know what it was. Yeah. I just knew that I didn't have it. I tried to manufacture something to, to save me. I did everything my little brain could do to mm. figure out a way. And when I was in high school, um, I had a boyfriend who was, I, I was always drawn to the good guys and he talked with me about Jesus. And so I heard a little bit about it. And then, you know, the soil was not ready, obviously. And I kept seeking and I kept seeking. And it was funny. It was not until our son was finally born um, after about 10 years of marriage, we were, I couldn't okay. have babies. And I'm like, oh, now I know I probably had a very difficult time conceiving children because of the damage done. Mm. But I just remember looking at this baby coming out. If he could have had an APGAR score of 10, <laughs> I mean, he was the bouncing baby boy screaming from the start. <laughs> he was strong. He was healthy. He, yeah, yeah. he was hungry. 
And I looked at him and I kept counting his fingers and toes and going, how did something so perfect come out of something so worthless and broken and disgusting as me? Mm. And I mean, I, I, that's when I'm like, who in the world are you? What is this God thing? Like, this is not what I deserve. Okay. This is grace. Like if I would have known what grace is, I look back and I would have told myself, this is grace enough just cause <laughs> it's the, you, you don't, you're right. You do not have the favor. You do not have it, but I, God is going to give you grace. And I was like, so that's what started the search is Julian being born. Wow. And I had friends that were around me that kept asking me to Bible study. And I'm like, um, I swore a lot back then. So I'm like, no, um, no, I'm good enough. I'm cool. I'm all right. I'm, I'm, I'm cool being drunk. I'm cool. You know, yeah. being mean, to my husband, I'm cool, whatever it is I'm doing reckless. That is horrible mm. to everyone around me and laying waste to the thousands. And finally, after about seven times, my girlfriend was like, please just come to the study. And I'm like, fine, fine. But I've got a baby. What am I supposed to do with this baby? And I'm like, bring Julian along. Yeah. And they just kind of like gathered me in. And then I had a thousand questions and a yeah. thousand more and they kept on answering and they kept on praying for me. And bam, 18 years ago, I'm like, I'm Jesus, you better I'm show me in. who you are. I'm, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to reveal yourself then reveal yourself now, because I've been studying, I have been going so hard. Mm. It was in a Beth Moore, a beloved disciple um, Bible study. And I was like, if you want me to know you, you better do it now. Cause I am losing heart. It's been like over a month and cried. And it was like stuff came off my eyes. Like the scales, literally, it felt like they came off my eyes. And as I looked down at the Bible, it was like words started lifting up and they were highlighted. Mm -hmm. And I don't tell, well, I guess now I'm telling more people this now, but this isn't a story I've ever, I really share a whole lot. Cause it's really one of those mystical, magical, Holy Spirit moments of, oh my gosh, Lee, I'm showing you who I am. Yeah. I am your father. I am the Christ. I am your savior. And here's the spirit. And I sold out after that. Wow. My, everything changed in our marriage. I stopped swearing. I stopped drinking. I stopped a whole lot of things. And my husband thought I was going nuts because he, you know, <laughs> well, you know. Well, he'd never known anything different, right? No. He's like, who are you? What's going on with you? And what's this church thing doing to you? And yeah. And that was the beginning of the last 17, 18 years of ministry. So. So at that point, had you already embarked on a healing journey from all that you had, had experienced as a child and teen? No, I had gone only one time to a therapist. I had suicidal ideations mm -hmm. uh, when I was about 27, 28. I just couldn't keep the garbage down anymore, but I didn't mm -hmm. know why. I had one abuser that I realized was an abuser. He was actually, I knew him as the sexual predator. And I thought, but it was just a little bit of abuse. It was my babysitter's husband in second grade. And I'm like, but it wasn't that big of a deal. But it was wow. like, that was kind of the beginning when I went for therapy when I was 27. And then I never had therapy again. I thought I had dealt with it. Okay. Why can't you just get over it and move on? Right. I mm -hmm. mean, what's in the past It's in the past, baby, leave it alone and move forward. And as I move forward in ministry, and as I move forward in a variety of different spaces and places as a mother, as a wife, as a church leader, I would find that I did not have regular amounts of fruit of the spirit. I didn't have the, the mm. peace. That's for sure. I had nightmares like crazy. I wondered why I had strange panic attacks that I didn't realize were panic attacks, meltdowns. I have, I'm probably about 90, 85 to 90% disabled with PTSD, which mm -hmm. I did not know. I thought this is normal. The way I deal with life is just my normal. Cause you know, she seems so normal. 
And, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> ironica. And so I just, that, that was a thing. And I was very fortunate to have a mentor, Michelle Novotny, who is a doctor and, um, she's a doctor with benefits. She's a psychotherapist and God bless her. You know, your friends with benefits, right? Oh yes. I 100% do. <laughs> like they can decorate or they can make like a cake yeah. or <laughs> they know when to talk and when not to talk. Oh yeah. <laughs> how to burn, how to, how to connect. Like I mean, Michelle was a friend with benefits and she said, I really think Lee that you might want to consider some trauma therapy. And I said, why would I do that? And she said, well, you were abused sexually as a child. Right. And I said, Oh yeah, it's by the second grade. My, you know, when I was in second grade, it's the babysitter's husband. No big deal. It wasn't that much. You know, it wasn't a big deal. And she's like, I think you might want to examine that because you're exhibiting enormous signs. Like especially from a, a psychotherapist's point of view, she right. knows this. She understands what's going on. Why is my anger going out sideways? Why am I unleashing it in places that are completely inappropriate? Why are there responses that I'm having that don't fit? what's happened. I actually didn't have any memory of the early, early trauma wow. until 2019, when we started diving in with a special kind of therapy that, um, that has been developed. So it was like, how could I not know this? But as I have spoken with other survivors throughout the years, for some reason, God has given me other survivors that I helped. What I've come up with is that for them, Jesus literally was like, you just look at me. Mm. Keep your eyes on me. Don't look at what's going on right now. Just, this is your gift. Here's a gift of dissociation. Mm. Here we go. You don't need to remember this. You don't need to remember all the times, yeah. everything they've done. Shh, we're just going to be okay. And you're just going to wipe this from your mind until you can handle it. Mm. And so in 2019, when I started, I had already assembled prayer team, prayer warriors that were around me, my Instagram girls, you, you were in that, in the circles there. Uh, back then. Um, I had mentors that were helping. I had professional therapists that were incredible. My family was in it to win it with me. And mm. I mean, really they're the champions. Jesus Christ, of course, is the champion right. of my story. He's the hero, but the other champions in the book are really my mentors, my pro sisters and my husband and kids. Wow. So. Wow. Well, and that's, I mean, PTSD, you've written quite a bit about it in your book. And so I want to read something that you've said. Lee's book is She Seems So Normal, Shatter the Plastic Princess, Embrace Authentic Faith. It's a documentary narrative of a journey to unearth long hidden hyenas, childhood sexual abuse. As a mega church, biblical researchers for preachers, I was the picture of put together plastic princess on the outside, but inside I was dying believing the enemy's lies, and wondering what's wrong with my faith. When I stepped away from the grave of fearful rule-following legalism and into the gardens to embrace authentic faith, I found avenues of recovery and restoration for anxiety, trauma, and shame with Jesus, mentors, prayer warriors, therapists, and the work of the Holy Spirit. Tell us what you mean, because you just shared some of that. But what do you mean by the put together plastic princess in context of the church? I used to be known as the church girl rights when I was on social media before, and I was a blogger. I was a mommy blogger. 
And I had all sorts of things I was doing for the church. I was doing biblical uh, sermon research. I was putting together sermons and sermon series, et cetera, et cetera. I was helping them with HD broadcast. I was dressing, styling, and making sure everything looked good across all the broadcasts to 17,000 people. And my husband happened to be the chairman elder of the church. And so we were this thing and we did missions. Everybody knew us. We were the ones that had adopted somebody yeah. from Ethiopia, our daughter. Like there was this whole thing, this filter. And especially with social media, there was, and the blog and leadership in church, there was this thing that I felt like I just needed, if I could just play like what I see, then I, if I could just look like this, like on the and outside, I will, be. I will be, and I will make it that way. And so I was, you know, put on your face, princess, get out there. Even when I was doing worship, I'm crying in between sets because I'm like, I think I'm going to hell. I don't have peace. I don't have love. I don't have joy. I am mm. in the pit right now. And Satan is telling me that I am unholy. And then I'm in the bathroom trying to get my makeup back on and then jumping up and leading the next song. I think there's an honesty. I think it was, I had honest worship because when yeah. I did do that worship and when I did serve like I did, it was honest. I wanted nothing but the best for the kingdom. But just right. because you put lipstick on a pig does not make her a lady. Mm -hmm. And that I was doing all these things that I saw all the amazing women. There are so many amazing women in my church and in all of our churches, like in, yeah. in our communities. And you're like, I just want to do that. I will, I will, how can I be like her? Yeah. But I didn't, I didn't let God work on what was deeply rotting my inside. And, mm. and, and that was the healing. And that was really the trust. And really, will I give my past over? And the problem with being a plastic princess, Amber is when the fire come, everything melts. Mm -hmm. And I had put together this mannequin that everyone thought, oh my gosh, she has it all together. She's so the, 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 the. And I felt like I had to keep on doing it because I'm the elder's wife. I work for top leadership. I, you know, she's a Bible yeah. teacher. She does this, this, this. And it's like, I had no place I could really share. Honestly, I didn't want to cause somebody to stumble. I didn't have the safe circles of accountability necessarily inside of that I had created for myself. I was everybody else's yeah. safe sphere, but right. I was no one else's. And that's a very dangerous place to be inside the church, especially for leaders. Well, and something that you said earlier, and Tara Matson is somebody that I've recently interviewed her and her husband, and she's a trauma therapist. And that is one thing she said, basically what you said earlier. The great thing about people who've experienced trauma is they can step up on that stage, pull it all together. I can turn it on. I can be exactly who you need me to be. But oh, yeah. man, behind the scenes, I'm like falling apart. Now, not always, but that tends to happen. And we, some of what they're convinced, some of what we see in leadership that is failing so hard right now is they need trauma therapy. And I think you would agree with that. Well, I was a handler. So I've, I've been a handler for talent as well. Okay. I mean, for, I, I have handled Sheila Walsh. I have handled my, my dear friend, Franny uh, Rivers. I have handled Daryl Strawberry and his wife, Tracy. I mean, I've handled musicians yeah. and stuff like that. And of course I've handled preachers. <laughs> <laughs> Head cases, and I love them all because we're all head cases behind the scene. But I was always the one. It's a that different made, thing. <laughs> it's just a different thing, right? I mean, it's what you see thing. out there in the front, I mean, they are that, yes, that is them. That is them. But also, what is in the green room? And I was always one of the ones 
making sure that everyone is safe in the green room. Like our talent mm. would be safe in the green room. I would be praying for them. I would make sure that everything was ready and set and that they looked good before they went out. Like they didn't have to have any worries when they were in the green room with me that it would go anywhere. They had no worry. Like I have heard about all sorts of crazy in the green room. And <laughs> I, I mean, and, and it's, I, it's okay. They're real people. And so you see a lot of people fawning and, oh my gosh, you got to guess what? Lisa Turkis puts her pants on one Just leg like at everybody a time. Else. Mm -hmm. She has bad days and sometimes her makeup runs. Bummer. You don't mm -hmm. see that because you have, she may have people, but that's her, this space. Yeah. That is not her at home in her pajamas. You know, that's she right. decided she didn't want to like floss last night. Um, who cares, right? These, we are just humans. We are not gods. We are just yeah. humans. And True I think story. the sooner that we uh, kick the pedestal out from underneath people and not in a mean way, like right. for the people who are watching in the seats, mm -hmm. they are just human. They aren't. Yeah. You get a peek behind the curtain and, and your, yeah. your view of that changes a bit. And so mm -hmm. it should as we grow up, but tell me this, when you started going through trauma therapy, um, I mean, what happened? <laughs> because well, that's a I, I know well because I want people to know that it's not like everything just turns into you become the pretty princess no it's a lot of work and a lot of times things explode before mm -hmm. they begin to calm and yeah that might not be your experience but I'm just curious yeah you've spoken with enough people and <laughs> you know enough people to know that when you embark on trauma therapy and literally mm. I walked into trauma therapy as the control freak of like who I was. And I told my therapist, all right, I have problems with this, this, and this, and this is what we're going to fix today. <laughs> and she was just like, okay, would you like to have a seat on the couch? It's so calm. And then the couch is squeaking. And I'm like, Oh, I hate this couch. Like I want to control the couch. And it was, it was a weird trauma therapy is a weird trust love thing for me. Um, I trusted my therapist. I was very fortunate to have her on great recommendations. Mm -hmm. We built trust over time. She didn't get it when I, right. When I walked in the door yeah. and, and we shouldn't be trusting that's right. you know, carte blanche. That's, that's foolish. Mm -hmm. But as we moved deeper and deeper into trauma therapy, um, and we were, she taught me a lot of the coping mechanisms that I have in the book. My mentor, Dr. Michelle Novotny, taught me a ton of the coping mechanisms that I talk about in the book. And it was awful. Like there were times, I don't want to like dissuade anybody from going to therapy because it was the best thing I ever did for right. myself. It was the best thing I ever did for my husband, my children, my community, this world, and myself as well as God. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was hard. The memories when they came well, let back. Me, before you go into that, I think yeah. what something that can help people not be dissuaded is this is one of those things. If you're a believer where you actually do say, okay, God, I have to trust you with the pain coming back up yep. in order for us to go to the next level. Yeah, um, you gotta and cross that the trust Jordan. is really, really hard to say, okay, here it is. Well, you think about when the Israelites crossed over the Jordan, you know, for the first time as the nation, they were crossing over at high water mm -hmm. and those priests had to put their feet in the water when it was rushing past right. them. And I feel like that's kind of what trauma therapy was for me. Uh, I wanted to get to the other side, but I was terrified because mm -hmm. the water seemed really, really, really big. And, you know, it, Isaiah talks about, you're not going to get swept away. 
Yeah. I'm with you. You will not be washed away. You're not going to drown in us. And I know that for me specifically, I had already built the prayer tribe as well at like, I had accountability people intentionally because God had kept putting mentors and friends and praying people around me that were safe, that I, w- I had to cultivate myself outside mm-hmm. of the church um, as a leader. And then I also had just people I knew I could call on. I knew I had my husband that was praying earnestly for me um, and my kids. And so that was kind of the prereq for, I mean, I had faith, but this is scary stuff. So I think you build, the idea is that you build your support teams Mm -hmm. and that's, I don't know if one could go through trauma therapy solo. It's not a, it's not a tennis match where it's a one-on-one. It is a team sport. It's rugby. And some Mm. people are blocking for you. Some people are in the scrum because they're strong and they can push hard. And then you have others who can handle the ball and run really fast. And you need all, you need everybody on the field for winning the game. And so I loved how God had these people around me. And then as I embarked onto the trauma therapy, I mean, it's like a diary. If you read through the book, it sounds like it's almost like in real time, um, reading my diary and we're sitting across from each other having coffee or something. But that was the big thing about the trauma therapy is having that support around me. And I was in a safe environment. I was very biblically sound. Obviously I knew God, I knew who God was. I didn't quite know exactly who I was at this point. I'm still working on, I mean, I'm in therapy now and it's been it's been two years since I finished um, the original and now I'm back in because there is, I thought it would be a one and done, Amber. I think I thought most it'd be a of one us and do. Done. <laughs> Come on, man. Can't we just, will we ever, will we ever be completely healed on this side of heaven? And no. I actually had an interviewer ask me that. And I'm like, I, I don't. Well, Until my the day of Christ writers, Jesus. I know. I'm like, no. And then I will see myself, you know, as clearly as he sees me now. And I won't actually walk away after seeing myself and forget who I am in the mirror. Like we're going to understand that, that, but my, I don't know if my, if those PTSD nightmares will ever end. Yeah. I don't know if I'm walking down the streets of Chicago, if I will ever just walk down the street and have no thought about the person who's driving by in the car. When my daughter is walking next to me thinking about where can we drop to our knees or crawl to if something starts happening on the street right now? Wow. I don't think I can ever go to another foreign country, to a foreign country when I'm visiting. And I'm like, all right, there are three exits out of this building. And this is how we get out. And this is where they lead out to. That is always at the, on my head. Okay. Who's got what they don't, this doesn't work. This is here. I have a knife here. If I needed that, you know, like this is the stuff that I, I'm Ooh, constantly- girl. It's the constant. Um, and when you've been trafficked in a third world, like I have, you will, that's what you start actually thinking about is how do you get home safe? I think that's the thing though, about counseling, that idea that we sometimes put in our head of being one and done, we all crave healing completely so desperately. Right. Oh yeah. But that thought of we aren't complete until the day of Christ Jesus. So it's not a failure to go through therapy and then have to go. And that's one of the lies that I have believed because Mm. typically family members in my life has been painted as, oh, there must be something wrong with you. If you have this diagnosis, there's something wrong with you. If you have to go to therapy, you know what I'm saying? And so there's the, and then those just come back in and it's not a failure to return. Actually, I feel like it's just another huge faith step forward of, nope, work's not done. 
Absolutely. I keep asking my current therapist and God love this guy. And the fact that I even have a male therapist is insane. It's a hundred percent God thing. Cause I said, never will I. Right. And here I have a male <laughs> therapist, right. which is hysterical. But um, what's really funny is we've been talking a lot about a lot of us who have trauma always try to give the very best to the world. It's mm-hmm. that seems to be a pattern that I've seen throughout a lot of different people that I've met who have, um, who have what we have going on. And it's that idea of perfection, like the white glove, I'll give the very best, the very best, the very best, the very, because maybe if I could have given my, the very best before, maybe all this stuff wouldn't have happened to me. If I could have just made you happier, if I could have just done the right thing, if I could have just, if I, all of that. And so we're really good at customer service. That's one of the gifts of trauma. The gift of being kind to people, that's a gift of trauma. The gift of de-escalating other people when they go nuts, that's another gift of trauma. But what about us? Like mm. my therapist asked me, what would it be like, Lee, for you to receive the white glove service? Why? Yeah. I know you don't want to stay in therapy, but this is an investment in you. This is like, I come Good in every point. week and give, give my best because his deal and my deal with him was you walk in here, I'm giving 150%. You better be giving me your all. Mm-hmm. I'm not walking into trauma therapy and I'm not dancing through the pansies. I'm giving 150%. I want your first appointment in the day. I want you fresh and I want you ready when you walk through the door because I am not messing around here. Mm-hmm. And so we have that kind of agreement of we give our best. And then he's like, therapy this helps you. Like, Mm -hmm. don't you, you've seen, you've seen how this has gone. This is a benefit for you. And this is how you help you show up the best way that you can in the world, be the best iteration of, of Lee in the world. Yeah. When you were writing this book, cause I know you've written for a long time. Um, and I know that you've wanted to write a book for a long time. Was this the book you wanted to write prior to 2019 or did that shift? This was the book that was ordained for me to write in 2019. As I started down therapy, I was writing for a magazine corporation and the publisher's wife said, you have to document your entire, you need to document the way you tell a story, you've got to document. Um, And so write, write through whatever. And then Dr. Michelle said the same thing. She's like, go and write now, you know, go, go, go document this, go, go, go. And I had originally back in 2020, late 2020, I had actually proposed this book to Christian publishers, but you know, we hadn't, it was pandemic, everything, everyone was kind of like, crazy town. It was, it was a crazy town. Right. It's and so um, weird. I, I had three publishers super interested in the book. And um, for whatever reason that just, it didn't end up the timing and everything didn't end up going. I think that it's a, it was a subject people were like, oh, I don't know if I want to touch the subject right now, especially in Christian publishing. Fast forward to, you know, I was like, okay, I'm going to let that one die. I'm, I'll let She Seems So Normal die. And I okay. started working on stories not shared on Sundays and why we feel like imposters in church. We're, we're not, I'm not sure about the second, the tagline, but it's the stories not shared on Sundays. And it's all the stories that if we could actually hear and the preacher talk about, like it's all the hard ones. It's the messy ones. It's the gross ones that they're like, oh, this does not work in a three point sermon. And this is, we got to be, keep it PG here, brothers and sisters. And um, these are just too hard to even try and wrap up with a bow. And by not sharing those stories from the stage, what happens is in the seats, people feel like I'm not sharing my weird stories. I need to come cleaned up. I, my messy might be too messy. And we've been, we've, we've been told that 
not verbally, but there've been a lot of nonverbal unwritten rules saying, yeah, keep that under your or I'll pray for you from far over here because I don't want your messy getting on my messy over mm -hmm. here. And so I started really looking into a variety of different stories, the ones that aren't often shared. Uh, and so that's going to include people's personal stories as well as Bible stories that I think a lot of people are going to be like, I never thought about it like that. I'm, I don't even know who she is. <laughs> I, who is that? And I think I happen? really love that one. Because I'm so that's excited me. about people it. People are like, oh my gosh, why would you? And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is the problem that your 12 year old is still reading the reader's version of the Bible. Y'all need felt, to know that like, people bled all over the place and their skin was rotting off and there was yeah. homosexuality going cray cray all over the place. Like, come there on. There was incest. There were <laughs> girls raping their dad. I mean, yes, and, and don't go to, don't go to revelation because the blood is going to be shoulder high I, on that day. Like, oh my gosh, why are we doing felt board Bible? Like, can we I, like get the real <laughs> stuff? Because the real stuff is what we actually are living in because that's well, and especially now, like oh. if we're going to all kids, kids now are growing up in a social media world. Mm -hmm. So they are seeing things so much younger and having sadly experiences so much younger. And so we can't keep acting like we are clueless about what's going on, particularly right. when half of it's in the word. Well, and, and what's great about it actually being in the world, I, I'm raising a 15 year old girl, yeah, um, girl. A, a 15 year old Ethiopian girl in Chicago. Uh, and it's really interesting. I have a 21 year old, almost 21 year old son. And if we're not talking about it through the lens of, I mean, Bible talks about this stuff. Bible yeah. talks about rape. It talks about liars. It talks about cheaters. It talks about disheartening things. It talks about pandemics. I, I mean, I, you only look at Snackerib and see what happened to his whole army in a single night. Um, anyway, I could go down the road way too far, <laughs> but I won't. And, and it's like, what, let's talk about a pandemic in, in, in the Bible. There were quite a few of them. I mean, yeah. and God sent it at one point on his own people. So, and then we have to wrestle we start through that. Talking? Yeah. So let's wrestle through that and see how do we apply what happened before to what's happening now, because mm. history will repeat itself and let's see how God's people handled it. Let's see how not God's people handled it. Right. And let's see what Jesus has to say about it, what God has to say about it and either don't do the wrong thing or do the right thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah. This and so that's what I'm as I've gone through stories not shared on Sundays with my co-author. Like we're really excited about bringing this. Um, you know, and what is church exactly? You know, what is church? Is it the Kirken, which is the building, which is a German word, or is it the Greek word, which is the ecclesia and the assembly, mm -hmm. the gathering, the people? So I, again, mm. I'm a nerd. I'm a nerd. I'm a nerd. I'm a nerd. But I'm back on the show. <laughs> we can You're nerd invited. Out later. It's an, oh, yeah, it's an open <laughs> invitation. Love it for the next book. That's right. That's right. Well, so tell me this then as we close out, she seems so normal. Who did you write it for? I mean, I know it's for trauma survivors, but I'm talking about if someone's listening right now and they're like, wait a minute, what, what's even the point? Like, what are we getting at here? Tell me who it's for, what you want her heart to begin to know is true about herself through the eyes of Christ. My primary is me at a younger age. Right now, I'm just trying to be, I'm really trying to be the person I needed when I was eight and five and 16, angry and really angry at 16, uh, suicidal at 27, scared when I was 30, damaged when I was 36. Like, I'm just trying to be the person I needed when yeah. I needed her. And 
and you don't have to have the same kind of like stuff that happened to me to get something from the book. This yeah. is a story about shame. And if you have a shameful story, the way you nurse shame is by silence and judgment. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to really make someone feel horrifically ashamed, you're going to silence them or you're not going to talk about it and you're going to judge them. Mm -hmm. But if you want to kill shame, you're going to start talking about it. You're going to address it. You're going to tell somebody who's safe and you're going to start hitting it head on. And so that this is kind of the, I'll go first. I looked around and saw the Olympians giving their testimony mm -hmm. before a congressional panel about something that I, I know what they're talking about. Like I've experienced mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And it's like, you've got to be kidding me. I didn't have to do that, but I'm going to borrow their courage. Right. So right. That, that is the whole point. I think of the audience for the book yeah. is if you have a shameful story and you need a little bit of courage, if you need a little bit of courage to know that Jesus Christ actually does love you, Mm -hmm. He actually is all powerful and God is good and he is great. This book is for you. Mm -hmm. If you are a trauma survivor and you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you don't even know him. I don't, I don't care if you're an atheist, have a read because take what you need and leave the rest. There's so many practical things inside of the book that it's just a, a walkthrough from day to day. If you are a, a friend, a family member, a spouse, whatever, mm -hmm. a supporter of somebody who has had a lot of trauma, this book is for you because it mm. helps to explain what does it look like inside the crazy and look and see what the people around me did. I yeah. mean, it is, it is mind blowing mm -hmm. how God put together the people that supported and learn from their, take their example. I don't, don't take mine, take their example. And thirdly, if you're a pastor, preacher, leader, or a mm. school person, if you're in a position of authority over other people, and you don't like the toxic environments you're in or that have been created, this is for you too, because yeah. we have got to change the way we talk about trauma. We have to change the way we talk about sexual trauma, domestic trauma, et cetera. And we have to make it more accessible for people to be able to get the help they need and That's not right. shame them and give them permission and say, yes, it's not just, and again, you said it before, yes, Jesus, but sometimes for some you need professional help and not be ashamed to get the medicine, the professional help, the support yeah. that you need. Yes. So. Oh, sorry, that was powerful. No, I, I'm all about, <laughs> I'm all about the sermons on these topics in particular. And so Lee, thank you so much um, for being here today for the work that you're doing. Share your website before we uh, sign off here. Sure. It's Lee McKenzie, L-E-I-G-H, McKenzie, M-A-C-K-E-N-Z-I-E.com. Come awesome. follow me. I'd love to see you guys. And um, Amber, thank you. Gosh, thank you so much. Lee's book, She Seems So Normal, is linked in the show notes. Don't forget to visit graceenoughpodcast.com slash books if you're unsure what to read next. There you'll find a free downloadable resource, including eight books that were influential in ways that surprised me. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time.